Holy Spirit, would you help us to do in our lives what we can't do for ourselves? Open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our eyes, and teach us about you. And would you use the things that we talk about tonight to be powerful work in our hearts to change our lives? Victory, in the name of Jesus, spoken over every person in this room. That all those people who just now, as Martin was talking about freedom from sin and walk, turning his back on the old way and moving towards you, Lord, that every person who wants to do that, who hasn't had success in that, that they be successful, even now as we study your word. Set these people free, these precious people who you died for, paid for with your blood, wash them clean. You already have. Would you just help them to, to walk in the washing that is available to them? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, I am really excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going through the book of Acts, and if you need a Bible, Mr. Matt, right there is a TV one. If you don't have one, it's really hard for you, especially tonight, ever see what you have. We're going through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an account of. I got one. Number one, Act is. Number one, Act is. What's an Act? If you've been in the top of drama, like they got this one, people. That's what people do, right? This is an account by a historical record by Dr. Luke of what the spirit of Jesus did through his followers after he stepped off this planet. And so we've seen a bunch of stuff. But we're in the, uh, the last part of chapter 6. Is that where we are? Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Hold on, because we got a lot. This I think we're gonna hit a record tonight for the longest, for the longest text. Because there was no way to break this up. So I, I want you guys to focus, okay? Because if you're thinking about algebra, you're gonna get lost in this, okay? So ready? Verse in chapter six, verse eight. Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power. Okay, guys, here's this guy Stephen. We read about him last week. But he was chosen as one of the seven people who was gonna be responsible for feed, doing the feeding program in Jerusalem. And this guy, Stephen, is a man full of God's grace and power. Grace. What is grace? What is God's empowering presence. Thank you. God's empowering presence in your life to be all that he's called you to be and to do all that he's called you to do. Let me say that one more time, okay? You guys know what grace is? Miles, say it one more time. Because I think Miles can got it. Say it. God's empowering presence in your life to do all these, be all that he's called you to be and do all that he's the power of God in your life is not constant. And how do you get how do you how do you get God's grace in your life? Humility, exactly. If you think you don't need God's help in your life, then you're not gonna get it. If you're like, God, I'm desperate for you because what I because tomorrow you've got something bigger in my life for me to do that I can handle without you. So I need you. You know what God does? He gives He gives you His Spirit to accomplish what He's called you to do. So this guy, Stephen. A man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now, here's the question I got for you. Think about last week. Did is did Stephen start with miraculous signs and wonders? No. That's not where he started. Where did he start? He served in the kitchen. This guy, this guy is waiting tables. He's doing the, the everyday work that needs to get done, sweeping the floors, serving the coffee, cleaning the toilets. Making the hamburgers. He's making the things work in the church community. And 
because of that, because of his humble service to the Lord, the Lord does miraculous signs and wonders through him. And in time, that miraculous signs and wonders are happening. Whatever ministry is happening in power, there's going to be opposition, right? We've been talking about that. There's going to be opposition, and so that's what we see right here. Verse, verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Okay, this is just this is the name of one of the denominations in Jerusalem, okay? There's one of the, the there probably 60 different synagogues in Jerusalem at the time, I've been told. And one of them is this community of people called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. The reason they're called Freedmen is because this is a, this specific community was a community of people who had been set free from slavery. They've been they've been enslaved, most likely these people have been enslaved by Julius Caesar back in 63 BC. And had been brought to Rome and had subsequently been released and then returned to all their different provinces. And now a lot of them have moved to Jerusalem and they've got this community, the synagogue called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And this, these are Jews of Cyrene and Alexand Alexandria. This is North Africa, Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. For you guys, are like, okay, that's a bunch of places. But here's what I want you to think about. Cilicia, just mark, I'd say circle in your Bible, the province of Cilicia, because the capital of the province of Cilicia was a town. Does anybody know? Was a city, the capital of Cilicia was a city called Tarsus. And there was a guy from Tarsus who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote a lot, or two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the text with the guy that was at this time known as Saul, who later became known as Paul, and was one of the great advocates for the gospel. So he's from Cilicia. So here's a clue. Okay, who's who's part of this synagogue of freedmen? Looks like Paul is. Okay, these men began to argue with Stephen. Anytime good ministry happens, people start arguing. Number 10, or verse 10. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Now this is something Jesus promised, right? These guys came against him. And what did Jesus promise to us in Matthew 10? He's like, you guys are going to stand before kings and governors. But don't worry about what's going to happen to you. Because when you are brought before kings and governors, I'm going to give you what you need to say. And nobody is going to be able to stand against you. You have to be put to the test right here. No, these guys cannot stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Why? Because the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What do you think? These guys from the synagogue of the freedmen, what's their motivation? And why are they, why are they attacking Stephen? I mean, why attack the, the main guy, Peter, or, or James, or John? And why are they attacking Stephen? What's that? Because he's weaker? Well, yeah, maybe. Think about this. I want you guys to think about what we talked about last week. There is this cultural split that's happened in the church in Jerusalem. It's not the church that we talk about. There's, there's two sides that we talked about last week. There's a whole there's a community of people who are Aramaic or, or Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there's a whole community of people that are Greek-speaking. And they're different culture. And there's kind of a division that arises. And we talked about that last week. And what that all meant. Now, of those two groups, which group was Stephen a part? Was he was he an Aramaic speaking? Or he was, he was Greek speaking, right? That's why they take him and put him in charge of, of solving this, this 
um, racial dispute or this this um, this ethnic attack. Okay, so he's on the Greek side. Now, what about these synagogue Friedman people? Are they on the Greek side or are they on the Hebrew side? Now we should read These guys are from all these different provinces, and they they're in Jerusalem as a community, but they're still on the Greek side too. Okay. I'll tell you what I think is going on here. I think what's going on here that bothers these, these people so much about Stephen is that Stephen was one of them. That Stephen, he was, he was one of these guys that was from the outside with them, and he grew up with them, and he was a part of them, and now he's gotten all, he's like leading the church of Jesus, and that bothers them. Because they're like, it was okay when People were feeding them. It didn't matter if people from the synagogue and freedmen were going to the, the, the cornerstone to get some coffee and all, but don't you dare become one of them? And now you're leading them? I think that's what's going on here. And that's why they so viciously attack him. And I guess that's, I guess what that's like. I mean, if, if you think about people who have attacked you the most viciously in your life, it's probably because you were once part of their group. And now you're not. And they're like, oh, he thinks he's so cool. You guys know what I'm talking about? They hate you way more than they hate me. They hate you because you, in their minds, you converted to that. And that's not forgivable in their minds. And their hate is so severe that they're going to do everything that they can to stop it. So how do they try to stop him? Same way that happens now. Go to rest of the day start, start murmuring. You start talking. You start talking. You start asking people what they think of what they think I did. It's called gossip. And gossip does its work. That's what happens. Verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say. So they go to the point of lying about, about this. They get men to say, We heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. What's the punishment for speaking blasphemy against Moses and God? Death. These guys want Stephen dead. So look at verse 12. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's the court, the Jewish high court. Verse 13. They produced false witnesses who testified, this guy never stops talking against the holy place, speaking of the temple. He's talking bad about our temple. And against the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Okay, well, she has to, what were the accusations against Stephen? That he's speaking against the law of Moses and this temple. And they hold so dear. And I want you guys to see Stephen's response. All, verse 15, all who are sitting in the Sanhedrin, 70 people, this court, 70, 70 leaders, they looked intently at Stephen. They're watching him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You guys know what angel's face is in like, right? I don't. What does it mean? What does Luke have in mind as he's recording this? I think what he's what he's writing 
that was seen on Stephen's face is a reflection of the joy that Stephen was anticipating was about to happen to him because he knew he was going to die and he's like, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm not afraid of anything because I know that I can't die. Jesus died for me and therefore whatever they do to the body, remembering what Jesus said back in Luke 12, 4, don't be afraid of those who kill the body who afterwards can't do anything more. What are you afraid of that for? Guess we have no fear of death. If you're in fear of death, it's because you don't understand. You don't taste death. You don't taste it. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Because if you realize that and you look at the future holds your face radiant with joy. Because there's a day coming when you see Jesus face to face and I can't wait. And this is the day for Stephen. And he's got a taste of it. And they look at him and he's beaming. And they're thinking, what is this guy smoking? <laughs> he's been accused of, he's been wrongly accused of something that brings about the death penalty. And he's full of courage and hope and even love and joy. And so he doesn't answer. They can't bring this accusation. And he's just like, I don't know what he he's smiling what, but he's full of courage. And the high priest is like, Are you gonna answer? Sounds like what the high priest said Jesus just a few months before, right? Are you gonna answer? These charges true. And notice that Stephen doesn't say, Yeah, they're true. He doesn't say, Nope, not true. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say yes or no. Instead, he takes the opportunity to truck before he gets clobbered with the rocks that he knows are coming. Instead, he gives himself the opportunity to proclaim the truth. And here, here's, here, you guys got to hold on with me. His response is long. And we're going to fly through this, okay? And there's our prayers for you. Let's do it. Please, please, please stick with me. Because he responds in an amazing way. And you're going to go, I don't get what that has to do with anything. Because he backs up all the way to Abraham. 2,000 years before, and he just like flies through the Old Testament, and you're like, is he just, a, is he just a buying time so that he's hoping they'll change their mind? He's not buying time. He's telling them something. He has to do this. So, verse 2. We're going to fly through this. To this he replied. So now he's like, okay, you open talk. Let me tell you. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And was, he's just in terms of affection. You guys, my brothers, my fathers, listen, I got something to tell you. The glory, or sorry, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Underline the word Mesopotamia. Because before he lived in Haran. Underline that. Verse 3. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. So verse 4. So he left the land of the Chaldeans, that's modern-day Iraq, and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. That is, that is Israel. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham didn't even have a child when he was 90 years old. <laughs> God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. This is Stephen talking about what God said to Abraham back about 2100 B.C., but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. He's talking about the future time when the Israelites would be in slavery. God said, 
And afterwards they will come out of that country, Egypt, and will worship me in this place, in Israel. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight, eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs who were the twelve tribes of Israel. Because the patriarchs were jealous of the second the youngest son, whose name was Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him, with Joseph in Egypt, and rescued him from all his troubles. Joseph is a type of Jesus, a prophetic picture of what of Jesus who would be coming. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Verse 11, then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was drain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. Underline the word first visit. On the second visit, underline that. On the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. This is a prophetic story. It actually happened, a historic story, but it has prophetic significance. Joseph in this story, in this historic story, represents Jesus. The brothers represent the brothers, the Israelites. Joseph showed his brothers, showed himself, revealed himself to his brothers who he was on the second visit. This is prophetic. The first visit, they don't recognize him. The second visit, they do. This is prophetic of the Israelites' response to Jesus. Yeah. If you guys are confused about what I'm saying, read Genesis 37 through the end of the book. It's an amazing story. You guys ought to make a movie out of it. <laughs> so, Pharaoh learned all about Jacob. Joseph's family. Verse 14. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and the whole family, 75 also. At this point, how many, how many Jews are there? 75. Five. That's it. 75 Jews, and they moved down to Egypt, and that's where they... Uh, where the where their fathers died. Verse 16, then their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor and Shechem, modern-day Nebuchadnezzar, for a certain sum of money. Verse 17, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased, the number of the Israelites in Egypt. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became the ruler of Egypt. He dealt treasures treacherously with our people and opposed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, remember that story? Placed outside in the Nile River, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he, is, he decides, I'm going to go see what it's like. I realize that I'm not really, I'm, I'm an, an elite Israelite, but I'm going to go see what it's like for the Israelites. So he goes and visits them. He saw one of those Israelites being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he goes to the guy's defense and avenges the Israelite by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them but they didn't recognize him. Remember, this historic account, Moses is a prophetic picture of Jesus, and in his first interaction with the, the Israelites, they don't accept him as a savior at all. Instead, what happens? 
The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them by saying, Man, your brother's why he is. He's trying to be a peacemaker. And the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Same thing that the Jewish people have said to Jesus all these years. Okay, so this is prophetic. You know what happened? This is sometime around about 1500 BC, a little bit after that. He says, Do you want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian Israel? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner, took a foreign wife, and had children. This is prophetic of Jesus. When the Jewish people reject Jesus, Jesus leaves the land of the Jews and takes a foreign wife. This is, this is an, an, an analogy of the bride of Christ. A Gentile bride takes that bride and has children. Okay? This is a prophetic picture of Jesus. You guys with me? Okay. Verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, when Moses saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And he went over to look more closely, and he heard the Lord's voice. And the Lord said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your shoes, the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come to set them free. That's always God's heart. Now it's come, and I will send you back to Egypt to set your people free. This is prophetic of the return of Jesus. This is the same Moses. Verse 35. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you rule and judge over us? Stephen's, Stephen's made an analogy between what they've done to Joseph, what they've done to Moses, and now what they've done to Jesus. He was set to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Okay, well this, this is talking about, this is prophetic. Of Jesus, first time Jesus comes, he's rejected. He comes back and he sets, he sets the Jewish people free. This is what Moses did. He comes back a second time. Moses comes back to Egypt a second time to redeem the Israelite people. He led them out of Egypt, verse 36, and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt and in the Red Sea for 40 years in the desert. Verse 37, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from among your people. Yes, that's, that's worth remembering. This is from Deuteronomy 18.18, and any time that you're talking with one of your Muslim friends, make sure that you point at that verse because the the, the the prophet who would, who would arise is a Jew. Okay, this is important. That's Simon. Verse 34. He was in the assembly in the desert, speaking of Moses, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, with our fathers. And he received living words to pass on to us. You guys still with me? Yeah. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to talk a few more minutes. But I think you're going to be excited about what you see here. But our fathers refused to obey him. Refused to obey Moses. They refused to obey God. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts. They turned back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. He's up now for 40 days, right? Verse 41. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to this calf that they had made and held a celebration, a party in honor of what their hands were made. Verse 42, God turned away and gave them over to the worship 
of heavenly bodies. And those guys like, okay, I'm going to let you guys worship what you want to worship. And this agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. So that now Stephen, who's speaking, these guys are about to kill him. He quotes from the book of Amos. And this is what he quotes. He said, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch, that's in the name of God, and the star of your God, Rephan, the idols you made to worship. And therefore, because of your idolatry, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Okay, that was a quote. Okay, now Stephen continues, and we're almost done with what Stephen says here. So hang on, hang, hang on with me. Verse 44, Stephen, still speaking, these people were about to kill him. He says, our forefathers had the tabernacle of testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern that he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, or this tent, this, this temporary place where they would worship God, our forefathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations that God gave out. It remained in the land until the time of David. The time of David is 1000, exactly 1000 BC. Who enjoyed, David, who enjoyed God's favor, and asked that he might provide a permanent dwelling place for the, son, for, for the God Jacob. In, other words, at, in 1000 BC, David says, God, I want to make you a, a permanent temple. Not this tent that was to honor the God of the universe, but let's make you a nice house. And it was actually David's son, Solomon, who built the house. You guys still with me? Okay. So David's son, Solomon, built the house and finished, the, finished that temple in 960 BC. Okay. However, verse 48, however, now Stephen says, well, here, here's what I want you guys to think about. The Most High, God, does not live in houses made by people. Duh. As the prophet says, and now he quotes Isaiah 66. Okay, so he's, he's, he's using the scriptures that these people know. And he says, heaven is my throne. Quoting God in Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And earth is, he's saying, earth is just this little place where I put my, my, my feet. What kind of house are you going to build for me? What kind of house are you going to build for me, says the Lord? Or where am I? You need to give me a place to rest? Are you kidding? How's it my handmade? All this stuff. The whole thing is mine, he's saying. Are you going to build me a house? And then Stephen says something that maybe you guys wouldn't say. Maybe you, or maybe you would have advised not to say. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are guys. He's speaking of the 70, this council of 70 judges and a bunch of people want to kill him. And he's like, you guys are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever one of the prophets that, you, that your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Speaking of Jesus, all those people that talked about the righteous one who was coming, they killed them. And now you betrayed and you murdered the righteous one. <laughs> you who have received the law, and that was pretty effect through angels, but you have not obeyed it. Okay. What's the point of all this? Remember what the accusations against Stephen were. The accusations against Stephen were really two things. Just being blasphemy against this temple and against the law of Moses. And what what Stephen says in this history that he just gives, 
is he's given this history, not just to recount the history, but in this history, he's basically saying three things in a nutshell. First of all, what he's saying is, guys, you listen to me. There is progress and there is change in God's program. The way that God does his work through the ages is not always with the same people, it's not always in the same place, and it's not always in the same way. And then he lists five different ways that God was working. He talks about Abraham. Remember this? What we just He talks about Abraham. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Moses. He talks about the, the tabernacle that was out in the desert. This movable tent. And then he talks about this temple. Okay, so he says, God's not doing the same thing with all the same people in the same way and all in the same place. He's got, he's building a program that builds upon itself. This is God's plan. Yeah. And he says something else. Okay, so first thing, the first thing this thing is said is there's progress in God's plan. Second thing he's saying is the promises of God are not limited to what's happening in this building right here. That's good. And that's why he mentions all these places. Talk about Abraham coming out of Iraq, Mesopotamia, Haran. Canaan. He talked about Joseph, where God was doing work through Joseph down in Egypt. He talks about Moses, who God, God is working in Moses' life way out there in the desert and in Midian. He talks about this temple, where this movable, I'm sorry, this tabernacle, this tent, this movable tent, where God's working. It's called the, tent, the, the tabernacle testimony. You know, what, you know what it's called? The tabernacle testimony? What does testimony mean? Proof, right? Yeah. Proof. This tent of proof. You know why it's called the tent of proof or the tabernacle testimony? Because the point of it is God, the, this is the proof that God is right here wherever his people are. Wherever his people went, there was God with them. Yeah. In other words, God wasn't stuck in this building right here in Jerusalem. Yeah. That's what Steve is talking about. Yeah. And then he says, like, okay, and then there was a temple that was built right here on this spot in Jerusalem. But God himself said, you can't build me no house. You can't build me a house. That's what he's, that 700 years before this. Yeah. He quotes Isaiah 66. And he says, the most high doesn't live in any building that humans can make. Right. That's good. The point that he's making is the whole thing, the whole land belongs to God. The whole universe belongs to him. God's purpose for this land of Israel, for this mountain right here that they're standing on, that temple in Jerusalem, God's purpose for the, the temple, God's purpose for the Jews, God's purpose for the cornerstone building, God's purpose for the people in the cornerstone building, and everything else was that the whole thing would be holy. The whole thing would be a temple. Man. Every part of this planet, a place where God dwells. Man. That's his goal. Yeah, man. That's what he's shooting for. So... Stephen's point is, God's, God's making progress and changing the way that he makes his progress. He's, his work is not limited to Jerusalem. And third thing that he's saying is, Israel, the people of Israel have shown again and again and again that they have a pattern of opposing God's plan and God's people. Look what he did. That's what he's saying in Amos 5. Did you bring me sacrifice? 
places? When you were in the desert? You guys, you were interested in going through the motions of worship and doing all this stuff and following the law and following the temple procedure and all through all that, your heart wasn't in love with me. And you know what you call that? He calls it idolatry. Because if you go through motions and you put your work in making this temple beautiful, and you put your work into making all the sacrifices that were supposed to be, and you put your work in decorating the Christmas tree the way it's supposed to be, and you gotta have Thanksgiving dinner just the right way, and you gotta have the coffee shop the right way, and you don't do it all because you love him, you know what God calls it? He calls it idolatry. He says, you're loving something, an idol that is more important to you than I am. And that's why Stephen says, you guys are stiff-necked people. You're stiff-necked and you have refused to follow God's plan. And look at what's their response. Their response, first two to four, we're almost done, guys. Their responses, when they heard this, they freaked out and they gnashed their teeth. Can anybody please demonstrate gnashing teeth? I, I don't know if anybody can, can do it when they're not mad. But I mean, the idea is here is they are going crazy with rage. They're like, you tell us we're stupid. You punk that grew up with us. Mel thinks that you're all so cool because you're with the Jesus group. No way. But look at Stephen's response, verse 55. But Stephen, as they're spitting their rage at him, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he looks, he avoids looking at these angry, spitting, ugly, beastly people. Instead, look what he does. He looks up to heaven and he sees the great God. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus. And look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That is not the thing to say. Because what he's saying is there is a way in heaven that bypasses this temple right here. And you know what they do when they hear that? They cover their ears and they yell at the top of their voice and they just pound, jump on him and start pounding him and they drag him out of the city and they just start throwing rocks at him. Bam, bam, bam. And meanwhile, the witnesses lay their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Is about to change his life. His life is about to change because he meets Jesus. And while they're stoning him, rocks in his head, blood spurting, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive us here. And they fell on his knees and cried. Something he'd heard before, maybe just less than a year ago. Lord, don't hold the sin against them. Who's he praying for? There's persecutors. There's one. Did Jesus answer his prayer? He answered the prayer. How do you know? He answered at least one person in the case of one person. That's the guy named Saul. He's like, don't hold this against them. And Saul's all smug and tough. He's a young guy. He thinks he's so much cooler than Stephen. He's holding the coats because these guys are beating him to death. And 